invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32 this evening. Psalm 32. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they did was they covered themselves and hid from God. When we think about that story, it seems a little silly. I mean, why would a person or how could a person hide from God? I mean, God knows everything. They of all people should have known that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we do that sort of thing quite often. We try to hide our sin from God. We do it every time that we willfully sin and then neglect to talk to God about it. Instead, we ignore our own sin as if God doesn't know and hope that He doesn't bring it up. Now, we would never talk about our sin in the same way that... or We often, I guess, wouldn't talk about our sin the same way that we talk about Adam and Eve's sin. I mean, it seems so blatantly obvious for them to sin in that way and then to try to hide it. But if someone were to ask us, does God know about your sin? Does God know about every sin you've committed? Then we'd have to answer with an emphatic yes. In fact, we all, I think, would answer without hesitation, yes, He does know. He knows about all of them. And yet, practically, we often deny it, don't we? By trying to hide our sin from God. We, we sin and then we hide. And sometimes we don't want to come into the light of God's truth. And this evening we're going to see that there is nothing better for a Christian than to come clean with his, his or her sin before God. Because God already knows about it and God actually is going to deal with it better than we deal with it. He hides it better than we will. That's what we'll see Psalm number 32. We have a Psalm of David, a Thanksgiving Psalm, one that charges people to give thanks to God for what He has done. So let's read this psalm together. I'll read out loud. You follow along in your Bible. Psalm 32. This is the Word of God. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach Him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. Believer, the surest way for you to have joy in the Christian life is to deal with your sin. 
The surest way for me to have joy in my life is to deal with my sin before God. Forgiveness comes from God. Forgiveness is actually the removal of the misery that comes from us hiding our sin. If you've been in that position, um, particularly with regard to some very blatant sins, you know what that feels like. The, the misery that comes when we, when we hide. But then when we come into the light, while it's painful at times to come into the light, it's actually best for us. So, there is forgiveness from God because He removes us from the misery of our sin. But, but when we de- depend on God, we'll see in verses 6-11, through 11, then there is actually great joy. We can actually avoid that mi- misery. So, first we want to see the forgiveness of God, the removal of misery in verses 1-5. through 5. Notice who has true joy in verses 1 and 2. True joy comes to those who find forgiveness of sins. True joy comes to those who find forgiveness of sins. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit? See, there is true joy for those who find forgiveness of sin. This is why David has joy. Because his transgressions have been forgiven. His sins have been covered. Transgression in the Scriptures referring to a willful sin. We can think of a keep out, no trespassers as the idea of transgression. That we willfully sin. We know we're not supposed to go beyond that sign, but we do. A willful sin against God. And, and in what David needs, what we need is forgiveness of sin where our sin is actually lifted away from us. So he says, blessed is he whose transgression is lifted away from him and whose sin, sin is just a failure to conform to God's standard. And the way that we have this joy, why are we blessed? See, how blessed is he? It's because, look at the end of verse 1, because his sin is covered. God removes our sin. He blots it out. Isn't this amazing that when we try to cover our sin, when we're like Adam and Eve and we try to cover our sin, it doesn't work. God still knows about it and it doesn't remove our misery. But when God covers it, He puts it away from Him. Look at the end of verse 2. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. We try to hide from God. That's really what hiding our sin looks like. It's a deceitfulness on our part before God. We're saying to God, we're not going to talk about our sin before You. But when we get to the point where there's no deceit in our heart, we come clean with our sin, then God is ready to forgive and we find joy. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So when we cover our sins, we don't get away from our misery, do we? It usually just intensifies the misery or delays the misery for longer or makes it last longer. But when God covers our sin, notice the end of verse uh, 1 again, whose sin is covered. God covers our sin. When He covers it, He completely removes it. Turn over to Psalm 103. And we'll see this. Psalm 103. 
see the mercy of God there in verse 10. Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's loving kindness towards those who fear Him. And notice, notice how God blots out our sin, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Here's what we need to understand. God is better at hiding our sin than we are. Okay, What I mean by that is when we hide it, we do it in a deceitful way. The deck actually doesn't remove the misery that it brings. Instead, it actually intensifies it. When God hides our sin, He puts it as far as what? The east is from the west. That's how far God removes our sin. So here's the joy. We hide it. We don't get the joy that we want. We don't get the pleasure that we want. And so we reveal it to God, confess it to Him, allow Him to forgive it. And then He hides it. And then there's joy. The misery is lifted. And so David here revels in the grace of God after seeking forgiveness for his sin. And as we'll see here in verses 3-5, through David was miserably deep in his sin and he did not find joy and blessing until he confessed that sin, until he stopped hiding it. And sometimes we can go days and months with unconfessed sin, but the moment that we confess it, God's ready to forgive, isn't He? He's quick to forgive. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103. And all that we do is bring on to ourselves more misery when we continue to hide our sin. It actually harms our worship. Have you been there? Where you had some specific sin that you knew you ought to talk to God about and you hadn't dealt with it. And so when you come to a place of worship, when you try to read through the Scriptures, when you try to pray, it just seems really shallow because there's a big elephant in the room between you and God, right? There's sin that hasn't been addressed. And so unconfessed sin actually brings misery upon us and it, it harms the fellowship that we have with God. The, the worship and service that we're trying to do to God is harmed because we haven't dealt with our sin. We're like Adam and Eve. We're just over there trying to hide it as if God doesn't know. So the surest way to true joy for a believer is to deal with your sin, for me to deal with my sin. Notice verse 2 here. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute is means to reckon or apply. We, we think of imputation... In the New Testament, when we're thinking of Christ's righteousness, that it's been applied to our account. Or when we think of, you know, David, Abraham believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. He credited it to the count of Abraham. He imputed it to him. He charged to Abraham's count, even though he didn't deserve it, righteousness because of his faith. Well, the same thing is true here, actually in a reverse way, that God doesn't impute to our account iniquity. It's as if God has a record book up in heaven of all the deeds that we have done. And when we go before God with these sins that we've committed, 
God takes those things which should be written down and charged to our account and He doesn't put them to our account. He doesn't impute it to our account. Do you see? They're forgotten. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103.10 He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Do you start to see here where the true joy is in confessing our sin? Allowing God to remove it and to hide it permanently. This point is that, that only the forgiven have true joy is further supported in verses 3-5. through five Because David shows the opposite extreme. He says, those who get forgiveness of sin, verses 1 and 2, are those who confess their sin and find true joy. How blessed are they? Verses 1 and 2. Now let's see the other extreme. When we don't find forgiveness of sin, when we're harboring hidden sin, when we're harboring our sin, not dealing with it, we see the other extreme. It's misery, isn't it? Notice verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. For us as Christians, this is really a shameful way to live, but quite frankly, it's all too often how we exist, including myself. We know that God forgives we know that there's joy when we confess our sins, but we often don't. Sometimes it's because we've justified it in our own minds. We think, you know, once forgiven, always forgiven. And so, you know, God's already covered up my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't really have to confess it to Him. Right? It's not like Christ has to re-die for my sins like other religions teach. So, so why bring it before God? But do you remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13? Peter said, Lord, I'm not going to allow you to wash my feet. And remember what Jesus, how he responded? If I don't wash your feet, Peter, then you have no part with me. And Peter said, that, Peter said then, well, then wash my head and my hands also. And Jesus said, you don't need all that washed. You've already been bathed. So you don't need your whole body to be re-cleaned. Instead, you only need your feet to be clean. What we have here, I believe, is an illustration for us of our forgiveness of sin. Yes, when we are saved, we are completely bathed in the righteousness of Christ, in the blood of Christ, where it's all been washed away, but we continually need, as we walk through this filthy world, we need, continually need our feet to be washed. We don't all need to be re-cleaned again. Jesus doesn't need to be re-sacrificed. But we have to confess our sins. And that's why 1 John 1.9 is not just referring to salvation. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. I believe that that's an ongoing responsibility that we have. And that's what David's talking about. He's already a believer at this point, And yet... He says here in verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, I was in utter misery. My body wasted away. When we are silent about our sin, when we don't confess our sins before God, notice what happens. My body wasted away, second part of verse 3, through my groaning all day long. Literally, David is saying in the, in the Hebrew language, his bones were wasted away. Now, it's unclear exactly what he's referring to when he says his bones wasted away. 
Uh, it could be referring to the bony framework, framework that houses his spiritual body. So that is, he, he fell into some sort of spiritual depression where he's just really um, down uh, spiritually, spiritual anguish. But it seems to me that it includes some sort of physical anguish as well. Because look verse 4. Look at verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Now certainly in verses 3 and 4, he could be referring only to spiritual things. Some scholars take it that way. Uh, I, I don't know for sure, just to be honest, but I lean towards the second view, and that is that this is actually referring to more than just spiritual anguish, but also some sort of physical anguish that comes as a result of this misery. David falls into what I would call a spiritual depression, a spiritual misery. And the ultimate cause is that he kept silent, verse 3. When I kept silent, I fell into this miserable state. But the immediate cause is, notice verse 4, day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. It was God who was, what? Disciplining him, right? It wasn't... It wasn't that David somehow inflicted pain upon himself. He was the ultimate cause. He was the one who did the sin that brought about the pain. But it was God's hand who is heavy upon him. We'll see what that looks like here in the next several verses. Notice at the end of verse 4, my vitality was drained away with the fever heat of summer. The idea of is you know being a weary desert traveler on a hot day and having no water and just having the energy just sapped out of your body. This is David spiritually. And this is what happens when we don't confess our sin. When we keep silent about our sin, verse 3, our spiritual lives start to waste away. We just feel like all the spiritual energy just gets sapped out of us. Drained out of us. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. In my iniquity, I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Notice these similar, these same words that are used in verse 5 were used in verses 1 and 2. Notice, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions. And then look at verse 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So the same three words there are repeated for us in verse 5 to show David actually going through that process of bringing those things before God. He recognized that whatever misery that he was feeling personally was a direct result of him hiding his sin. And so here's the way to get out of that misery as a, as a believer. I was going to acknowledge it before God. God, You know about my sin. You know what I've done. So I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that you say about it. He brought it out in the open. He says, second line of verse 5, My iniquity I did not hide. We try to hide our sin so that it can be covered and hidden from God. But what we see here is that the only way our sin really can be covered is if we bring it out in the open. Christian, hiding our sin is foolish, isn't it? First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, if we're going through the Christian life uh, ignorant of or 
or rejecting the idea that we have any sin in us, John says we're a liar and the truth is not in us. Okay, so, so really, we're not really going through the Christian life. We're really just going through the motions. So if we're not confessing our sins, we don't, we, we're not living like genuine believers. Believers recognize their sin at some point and acknowledge it before God. Notice what God does here. After David acknowledges his sin, his iniquity he didn't hide, he confesses his transgression, last line of verse 5, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Isn't this amazing? That God is ready to forgive. It's immediate forgiveness. That's why 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sin, He's faithful and just. There doesn't seem to be any time period between our confession and God's forgiveness. When we ask, when we acknowledge our sin before God, God's ready to forgive. So David finds great joy out of the depths of his extreme misery because he's acknowledged his sin before God. But that's not enough for David. It's not enough just to acknowledge it and get out of the current misery that he's in. Instead, he wants to go beyond that and he wants to avoid that misery in the future. And that's what verses 6-11 through is about. He now turns his attention to the congregation of believers and says, now you need to stop hiding your sin. Don't do this. Here's how you avoid the misery that comes from hidden sin. Not acknowledging your sin. So he wants to change in his own life, avoid that misery, and he wants other believers to do the same. Verses 6 and 7, we see that those who depend on God will avoid great misery. Those who depend on God will avoid great misery. Look at the first word of verse 6. Therefore. Okay? David talks about his experience, verses 1 through 5, and then he says, therefore. Here's how we ought to live. He immediately uses his experience as a way to encourage others and to help them avoid the same pitfall. You know, he's saying, I learned the hard way trying to hide my sin. It didn't work. And so what I want you to do is to learn from my foolishness and enjoy a life with less misery than I've experienced because I've hidden my sin. We know of a specific time in which David did that. A sin had to be addressed to him by Nathan when he committed the sin with Bathsheba. It's not clear if he's talking about that specific time, but it very well could be. David said, I harbored that sin in my heart. I didn't acknowledge it before God. But when I did, I found forgiveness and joy. And here's how you can avoid that misery. Don't go long periods of time without confessing your sin before God. And the way that that happens is through dependence upon God. Notice what he says here after the word therefore in verse 6. Let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. So be dependent on God. Now you might be thinking, when can God not be found? The New Living Translation, I like the way they put it, it says pray to God while there is still time. And you think, well, God is always near. right? God is always near us. He's always going to be at a place where we, we where He can be found. But the idea here is that He provides a window of opportunity that we don't want to miss. In other words, we shouldn't presume upon God's grace. The Scriptures constantly oppose that idea where we just pre- presume upon God's grace. Like, oh, God's going to be 
forgiving of me down the road. So I'll just keep harboring the sin. I'll just keep continuing in the sin. I'll keep taking joy in the sin. And God is a forgiving God. He'll forgive me down the road when I'm good and ready to be forgiven. And here's David's point. Call on Him while He can be found. When God convicts you about that sin through His Holy Spirit, that's your window of opportunity to receive that joy, to avoid that misery. So don't presume upon God's grace. Confess any known sin when God brings it to your attention. God does this in a number of ways. Sometimes He does it through trials. You know, difficult times in our lives causes us to reflect on our own spiritual life. What kind of things... What is my relationship like with God right now? What kind of things am I holding back from God? It could happen just through the preaching of God's Word. It could happen through the reading of God's Word on our own. It could happen through other believers pointing out an area of inconsistency or, or explicit sin. And so we need to, like Psalm 95 says, seek the Lord while He may be found and call on Him while He is near. Notice the next line in verse 6. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach Him. Think of your life like a, a, a river basin as Alan Ross puts it. it. It's dry most of the year without any difficulties. But then we have this unconfessed sin, this trying to hide this sin. And what happens is when we do that, we invite in the flood waters of difficulties to come because God is very serious about us confessing our sin. And so He allows the floodwaters of difficulties to come in until we confess that sin. So, so if we want that, those floodwaters not to reach us, then we have to dam up the river through confessing our sin. That's how we, we, we kind of lay down the, the, um, the, the bags there to, the, to protect the water from coming in how we fortify the dam at that end. If we want the difficulties of life to come in in a greater way in order to get our attention to wake us up from our unconfessed sin, then we just continue to live on uh, trying to hide it. We reduce the difficulties, the floodwaters of life, so we actually reduce the misery in our life. But David's saying, listen, find your refuge in God. God is a refuge and strength. Look at verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. God is not ready to whap you over the head. You know, He's not looking to, to bring down judgment upon you. But He will draw you near when you start to stray. When you start hiding your sin, you start turning away from God, kind of walking away, God's going to get your attention somehow. Now, it might not always be through circumstances, but, but that's not the way that God intends or wants to deal with you. Uh, so let's avoid that by acknowledging our sin. So here's how we do this. Okay? It requires dependence upon God, recognizing that He's our refuge and strength, confessing our sin when we know about it. And, and we do this through a spirit of, of submission to God, verses 8-11. through 11. We, we have to avoid stubborn pride. Look at the um, illustration that is used here in, in verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
Now, before we get into this illustration in verse 9, we need to understand who's talking here, who's speaking. Because in the first five verses, it's David. He's learned something about his own life that he finds joy when he gets forgiveness of sins. And then in the second part, David turns his attention to the people, the congregation, and says, now you call on God while He can be found. Don't presume upon His grace. Now he says, I will instruct you and teach you. Is he talking to the people here? Well, I think what's happening is probably this is David receiving a message from God that God was instructing and teaching David, and now David's passing it on to them. Don't be like, don't be like this, David. Don't be stubborn in your pride. Be humble. Submit yourself to me. And now David's passing this message on to the congregation. So I think that's what's going on here in verses 8 and 9. Um, in fact, the New Living Translation clarifies it um, for us because there's a little bit of a, a change in, in conversation in verse 8. And it, it adds the words, The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you. So that kind of helps us to see uh, that it's actually the Lord speaking to David, David speaking to the people. So I think that that's what, what's going on. Now let's look at the main command in these verses. Verse 9. It is, Do not be as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding. How are humans, how are believers like horses and mules? Well, the text tells us they have no understanding. We act as if we have no understanding. And when we do that as believers, we require some sort of physical infliction in order to bend us to the Master's will. The Master wants us to lead us in a certain place. Okay, so picture a stubborn mule. It doesn't want to go, and so what do we do? We put a bit or a bridle in their a bit and bridle in their mouth, and, and we direct them which way they can go, right? Because they're too stubborn to go where you want them to go apart from that. Because they have no understanding. And so what David is saying is that our stubbornness with regard to this unconfessed sin actually leads to greater pain, greater misery as a believer, mental or, or physical. When we do this, we act like a horse or a mule because we act as if we have no understanding. And so here's a very simple truth that we need to learn. that we, we can avoid all of that pain just by confessing our sin before God. Acknowledging the sin that we've been harboring in our hearts. And recognize that God grants repentance to those who confess their sins. See, horses and mules can be resistant to the will of their masters, and in the same way, believers can be resistant to the will of their master. We don't want to go the direction that He's leading us, and so sometimes He has to inflict a little bit of pain on us in order to direct us in the right way, the best way for us. And so can I just be very blunt and, and paraphrase this idea? Don't be as stupid as a mule in your Christian life. Okay, don't be as stupid as a mule who has to be led through some sort of pain. God would rather, instead of you know getting on our back and putting the bit and bridle and, and using the reins to, 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 to direct us, He'd rather stand out in front and just take the reins and allow us to gently follow behind, not pulling but just holding on to the reins while we, we follow behind because we're 
acknowledging our sin. We're confessing it before Him. We're recognizing that He's actually leading us to a good place. So stubborn pride leads to guaranteed infliction of pain. So avoid that by confessing your sin. Verses 10 and 11, I believe, are just a summary exhortation for the whole passage. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Trust in the Lord at all times. Trust in the Lord that His direction is best for you and He will surround you with His loving kindness. Isn't this what you want as a believer? Don't you want the loving kindness of the Lord to just wrap you up? No matter if there are times of prosperity or times of trouble, that that you know that God is on your side and that His loving kindness surrounds you through it all. The main point of this psalm is that God forgives So confess your sin before God. Very simply, God forgives sins. He's quick to forgive. So confess your sin before God. God is working to keep you near Him. If you want to go through your life as a believer the hard way, then don't confess your sin and allow God to to lead you along through this infliction of pain, through bit and bridle. But the easy way is allowing God to walk out in front and lead us along, and we happily follow behind, confessing our sin before Him. We're often like the horse who thinks that he knows the best direction to go, but master, but really the Master is the one who knows. And our job is to trust the Master as He leads us along. So let this psalm remind you of God and His gentle, caring love for you. That, that He is going to preserve you all the way to the end. That we, like a horse, are trying to go astray our own way, but God lovingly is directing us to the best place that we need to go. And this truth is clear throughout Scripture that those whom God has called, those whom God has chosen, God has called. And those whom God has called, He is justified. And those He's justified, He is glorified. He's sanctified and glorified. And that means that when we put our faith in Christ, God's going to bring us all the way till the end. He's going to bring us to a place of final uh, rest, final sanctification. That doesn't mean that we're not going to fail along the way. That doesn't mean that occasionally some of us will fail miserably along the way. And even totally, but not finally. Some believers will even have tragic moral failure like Lot and Samson and David and Solomon. But the faith of genuine Christians, genuine believers, will remain until the end. Why? Because God keeps those who are His. Now, we can look at that and say, well, because God preserves all of us till the end, then I can just do whatever I want. I have a license to sin. I have an excuse to sin. But when we do, what we can be sure of we learn from this passage that it's going to be miserable for us as Christians. So why live our lives that way? Why live our lives in a place where we're hiding our sin? Avoiding coming out into the light because we don't want our sin to be exposed. We can avoid all that chastening and that discipline, which is actually a good thing. We can avoid that by confessing our known sin. Here's the great truth. 
that we learn is that God is so serious about keeping us to the end that He has left us with the Holy Spirit and, and that His Holy Spirit will indwell us and He guarantees, the Holy Spirit guarantees that we will not be happy in turning away from God. Isn't that great news? That God loves us so much that He's left His Holy Spirit with us to not allow us to be happy in our unconfessed sin. That's actually a good thing. And so when our bones waste away spiritually, and maybe even physically because of our sin, it's actually God drawing us back in with the rain saying, you're getting off track here. And I have something better for you, so come with me. If we're indifferent to our hidden sin, if we're cold to to it, we don't care if we are happy in our unconfessed sin. Then it might be an indication that we don't have the Holy Spirit in us. And so when you do feel that misery and sin, God is actually leading you to greater joy. Christian, if you're living with unconfessed sin right now, maybe you're thinking of a specific sin. I haven't mentioned any. Maybe you're thinking of a specific sin that you haven't dealt with before God. Can I just encourage you tonight that God is merciful? That He's ready to forgive you? And He wants to be in a loving, right relationship with you? It's not too late to turn to Him. Call on Him while He's near. Don't presume upon His grace. He already knows about your sin. It may feel like you've got it hidden from Him, but it's not. And He's the only one that can really hide it, can He? He removes it as far as the east is from the west. For those of you Christians who are here tonight and you're innocent, in other words, you've been confessing your sin. You've been forsaking your sin. When the sin comes up, you, you're quick to ask for forgiveness and acknowledge it before God. Take joy in that. The great joy that comes from knowing that God is, is ready to forgive, that He is constantly merciful with you, even though we don't deserve it. This, and then finally, I want to just encourage all of us that this psalm is directed at you. It's directed at me. Okay? It's not directed at your neighbor. The temptation in hearing a message like this is, you know, seeing the connection between sin and suffering. Well, if God inflicts pain on those who have those believers who have unconfessed sin, then here, here's how we start to connect the dot. See that believer over there who's experiencing that pain in life? That's because of unconfessed sin, see? We think we know what's going on in their life, but we, we better be careful when we do that. Okay? Sometimes we tend to be like the doctor who has cancer. We, we're quick to look at other people's cancer and want to di- you know, do the diagnosis for all their lives, but we haven't even looked, had ourselves looked at. That's not that's not a very godly way to live. And, in fact, I think that's actually an unwise and unbiblical way to evaluate someone else's suffering. To say that we know it's because of some unconfessed sin. Now, it's because of the, you know we see some inconsistencies in our lives. It must be that sin. Or maybe I don't know about something that they're hiding from me, so they need to come out with it. But when we do that, doesn't that sound a lot like Job's friends? who they were very wise when they first came to Job and they were quiet. They just sat there and 
and uh, felt Job's pain with him. But then they opened their mouths, didn't they? And they started to accuse Job. The only reason this could come upon you, Job, is because you must have done something. And what did God? What was God's view of them? You've evaluated Job wrongly. You don't know what's going on. You don't know why Job is suffering. So don't pretend as if you do. Remember Jesus with the man born blind? Who sinned? Him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. In other words, it wasn't a direct connection between their sin and his blindness. Right? It was so that God could be glorified, in his case, through the healing of him. What we like to do is we like to look at other people's sin or, or other people's suffering and say it must be because of we try to connect a dot which we can't connect. We speak on behalf of God where God hasn't spoken. And so what I'm saying to you and myself as well is this is not for us to go around and start looking at other people's suffering. Well, they must be being led by a bit and bridle right now by God because they have some serious sin. You know, sometimes difficulties and circumstances can come into a person's life apart from a direct connection to their sin. Jesus is a good example of that, right? Job is another one. Okay, so so this is directed at you. Evaluate your own heart. I don't know what kind of suffering is coming into your life, but could it be that God is just trying to wake you up to some sin that you're not acknowledging to Him? Why don't we just take some time now and just to make sure that our hearts are clean before God. We're going to pray together as a church here. Um, take some prayer requests and things, but let me just give us a few seconds here to, to talk to God. And if you have something specific that the Holy Spirit's been convicting you about, why don't you talk to God about that right now? There's no greater joy for a believer than confessing his sin before God and finding forgiveness. Father, we marvel at Your grace. Your mercies are new every morning and You're constantly faithful to us even when we are faithless. Constantly coming after us and pursuing us even in our unconfessed sin. And thankful for the example of David who experienced great misery because of the harboring of his sin but then found great joy in acknowledging it. And Lord, I pray for our church pray for myself that we would be willing to acknowledge our sin before You and find the joy that there is in that. Lord, give us grace to see our sin and to deal with it. We want to please You with our lives. We don't want to hold back anything from You. We never can prove the delights of Your love until all on the altar we lay. So we, we, we just allow ourselves to be fully given to You. So help us, we pray, in that. In Jesus' name, Amen.